Hello, and welcome to another edition of the PCOS Diva podcast. I'm Amy Medling. I'm your host. I'm the founder of PCOS Diva and a certified health coach. And I am so excited to be here with today's guest. We are going to be speaking with a physician scientist, and this this doctor is really on the forefront of PCOS research. I hear from so many women who feel very alienated and they feel like the medical community is not doing enough to help them with their PCOS. But I want to highlight doctors like Dr. Frank Gonzalez, who's going to be speaking with us today, to to show you that there really are men and women out there that are working every day on our behalf. So thank you, Dr. Gonzalez, for being with us today, and welcome. It's my pleasure, and hopefully I can be of help. Well, I want to just introduce you to the audience, tell everybody a little bit about you. Dr. Frank Gonzalez is an associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology in the Division of Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility at Indiana University School of Medicine. He received his bachelor's degree in biochemistry and molecular biology from Harvard University and an MD degree from Temple University School of Medicine. He's trained in obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Rochester and Rochester General Hospital. And you are, as I mentioned, a physician scientist, and you've received formal research training as a U.S. National Institute of Health-sponsored reproductive women's health research scholar. Boy, that was a a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually just listened to you present some of your latest research at the Association of Reproductive Medicine Conference, ASRM, and it was held last week in Baltimore. And you were speaking about PCOS and inflammation, and I thought it would be great to have you on to kind of talk about what you've been doing um, with your research. And I think that a lot of us think of PCOS and insulin, you know, we're, we're constantly hearing about that connection between PCOS and insulin resistance. And I think for many of us, that the, the thought of PCOS being kind of this pro-inflammatory state is somewhat new. So maybe you could shed some light for us. No problem. Uh, I've been working uh, quietly for the past decade or more uh, to bring forward this field, which emanates from work in other parts of science and medicine, realizing maybe early on, you could say, from the work of others who have been fortunate enough to uh, become uh, friends and colleagues with, where we could sit across the table on a regular basis and just enjoy talking to each other about medicine and science, that inflammation is actually the underpinning of most major diseases. Um, PCOS in itself is not a disease. It's a conglomeration of signs and symptoms that we've yet to completely understand, yet it has 
certain aspects that come into play that funnel into some of these major diseases. But inflammation is the underpinning of cancer, diabetes, heart attack, stroke, and with conversations with those individuals who really started to study inflammation of those major diseases, it became apparent to me that maybe PCOS uh, also would be one of those issues in medicine in which inflammation has a contribution. So this was back in the very late 90s that we started this, uh, and we published the first paper of inflammation in PCOS back in 1999. And as a clinician seeing patients every day, it was like a light turned on. And mm -hmm. with the assistance of these, uh, you could say, really, really experienced clinicians and researchers, I got what I needed to get started. The passion has always been there but the need to learn more and gather the formal research training to follow that initial lead that turned the light on. So this has been going on a long time. I just want you to know that, that uh, it made sense to me once we saw our results in PCOS and with the general knowledge that inflammation really has a play in, in, in all medical problems. And... We went on and looked at molecular pathways pertaining to inflammation. And th the most important thing is realizing that the underpinning of insulin resistance is inflammation. The most common cause of insulin resistance that we see nowadays is being overweight. And there is known cellular and molecular mechanisms that have been studied at length. And I used that information and what I knew about PCOS for many years taking care of patients to say, how does it apply to PCOS? Because uh, being overweight in PCOS creates a worsening of signs and symptoms, but they are separate issues. Um, m many have the idea that, well, if you have PCOS, well, that goes along with being overweight. Uh, truth of the matter is, overweight people are present whether they have PCOS or not. It's just that if you're overweight in PCOS, it makes PCOS worse. Um, there is data to say that women with PCOS uh, may be more prone to weight gain. But I don't know that we have any clear mechanism on how that is for sure. Uh, we just have uh, statistics to say there are more overweight women with PCOS. Truth of the matter is, in speaking with with uh, researchers who are, you could say, in the twilight of their careers, who began studying PCOS in our era, early 60s, 70s, they will testify to say that the study subjects in their studies that they had are not the same study subjects that may present regularly to our clinics today. And I think that the impact of the environment and an increase in obesity related to what happens in the, in, in the uterus has, has increased that. If you go to other parts of the world where there, uh, there are, are different uh, environmental and genetic factors where there is less overweight, uh, 
you will find what I think other researchers mentioned years ago still exists today. So there's there's a lot to know in studying PCOS, how to try to root out the answers. And I've come up with seeing that inflammation really feeds into many of the things that that, that just trying to put together the, the links of things that have been dis, discussed and are the concerns, including insulin resistance, to both patients and physicians who take care of women with PCOS. So when you're talking about environmental factors, um, I know from my own personal experience and, and women that I coach, um, changing their diet and kind of weeding out the inflammatory type foods. And for me, personally, I know that's gluten and dairy um, mm-hmm. and eating more anti-inflammatory foods, vegetables, um, and you know, healthy oils and um, clean animal protein like that has really made a tremendous difference in, in my symptoms for PCOS. Now, have you uh, looked at any um, studies with diet changes and inflammation in PCOS, or is that something that might be on the horizon? What I would say is that from personal experience and caring for patients, many of whom uh, need to find an appropriate diet to lose weight, to improve their signs and symptoms, and to uh, help them conceive, I've come to realize that all uh, enmeshed in this issue of inflammation and insulin resistance is the fact that women with PCOS have a very sensitive metabolism. They mm-hmm. need to eat in a very healthy fashion. And really, uh, if you go back over a 100 years ago, the foods that are available today as normal in your supermarket are, are not what people used to eat. And so we have seen uh, changes. PCOS is an ancient disorder. It's been around for 2,000 years. But the presentation of PCOS has changed. Uh, with regards to what's been studied in diets in PCOS, it's just... Uh, Still in its infancy, the um, I think we all understand that uh, trying to achieve and maintain a normal weight, whatever way possible, is better than not. Because we have a pandemic, pandemic means that it's worldwide, of uh, overweight individuals in this world in industrialized countries, we wonder what did it, and we've come to realize that it's really, uh, if you want to say environmental factors, it's more like what's going on, uh, exp- fetal exposure to uh, a, a metabolism that that's not completely healthy if you're overweight uh, and, and become pregnant. And so um, you could say that we've had an upshoot of overweight individuals and who have conceived and then in subsequent generations we're seeing what happened during the offspring's time in the uterus. There are animal studies that have clearly shown it and that it's reversible. And we also have human studies to support it. So uh, I hope that I'm answering your question. I have not given you specifics as to uh, what diets are uh, preferable anti-inflammatory. I can give you my input, 
because I lean on those experts uh, in nutrition. Uh, a lot of what I do uh, looks at dietary components and what mm-hmm. what is pro-inflammatory, what promotes inflammation. But really, it, it all falls in the realm of metabolism, understanding that uh, it's... It, it, it's important to eat in a healthy fashion in order to and exercise in order to uh, maintain a healthy weight for all humans, but especially for women with PCOS. Uh, I uh, I uh, have tried various things, but I've also listened to the Obesity and Bariatric Society's protocols for weight loss and weight maintenance. And uh, right now, what's being promoted is the ketogenic diet. And I'm not saying that's the end all for women with PCOS. We really don't have, uh, you know, uh, really large definitive studies. But I know that um, in general, for humans who are insulin resistant and inflamed, because inflammation is really what leads to insulin resistance, particularly in overweight individuals, uh, that uh, limiting pro-inflammatory things like uh, sugars in particular uh, will uh, flip the switch to, to instead uh, b- burn what's already present as energy in our uh, adipose tissue compartment. So that's, that's what I do clinically. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that I can give you specifics, uh, eat this or eat that, but I can tell you that you can uh, flip the switch metabolically and you could let's say automatically from an inflammatory point of view if you need to maintain and lose weight by avoiding excesses of of starches and processed foods which are commonplace in the american or industrialized country diet and uh when you grow up with foods that seem normal but they didn't exist years ago we've had a natural progression uh, in, in weight, and American women are 16 pounds heavier than they were 16 years ago, and that's just been a, a progressive phenomenon based on what food is present in the supermarket. Without clarity, it's coming to bear now because w- we are uh, trying to reverse that effect. I would say the medical community is uh, is now uh, more tuned than they were 20 years ago. Uh, and I don't know if that answers your question clearly, because I'm, I'm not going to tell you eat this is uh, better for mm-hmm. inflammation versus that. I think that I'll stick to general concepts and what's being done today to uh, uh, lose and maintain weight and why. From a metabolic point of view, which really means, gee, what is metabolism, the, the foods we eat and how our body processes them for energy, and there's carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, and it just so happens that the complex carbohydrates in in, in PCOS, especially especially if you're overweight, uh, may not be uh, the first thing to do if you need to, uh, to, to to ingest on a regular basis if you need to lose and maintain weight. Um, using that approach, I have had wonderful success. Uh, in in uh, improving fertility without even needing medicines. Uh, but we also have uh, w- wonderful medicines that can assist if need be. Uh, the, the individual woman with PCOS has separate needs depending on what's, what's going on with them at the time they present for whatever sign and symptom, whether it be an issue of fertility 
or other things that that present. So I think the the, the takeaways here are that it is reversible for for women. It's showing in animal studies and in human studies. And you said that um, sugar and simple carbohydrates are very pro-inflammatory and kind of feeding those flames of inflammation in PCOS, and it's important to avoid those types of foods. The, the, the issue of, of, of being overweight uh, definitely is reversible. So I'm, so I'm just filling right. in the, the blank. Okay. Uh, obviously, uh, it, it's not easy to lose weight, but there is an approach. I was referring to the modern phenomena of an increase in over, being overweight in, in the population of this world in, in industrialized countries. There's been a huge upsurge, uh, you know, uh, starting in the 90s that, uh, has come to, uh, uh, the realization of the medical community as to the need to try to change that and studies have uh, begun and I just presented to you that the, 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 it's called the epigenetic phenomenon of, uh, of, of being prone to gaining weight because of a change in metabolism when you're an embryo uh, because uh, your, your mother was overweight when uh, she was pregnant. And that that phenomena, you know, permanently affects the next generation, but that it's reversible if that next generation can get pregnant at a healthy weight. There, there was a study done uh, in humans, in uh, women who were overweight. They either went through bariatric surgery, and I'm not recommending that that's the first line. This is simply a study in women who were candidates for bariatric surgery. Half went uh, through the surgery, the other half didn't. And when they uh, when they conceived both groups and followed the children, the children of the women who had lost weight and the bariatric surgery was the tool because they were candidates. The next generation had significantly lower of uh, number of children who became overweight around adolescence in comparison to those who conceived without having lost the weight. So it's it's kind of carried through from the animal studies uh, that have have shown that you know this is a, a, an epigenetic phenomena, a, a phenomena in which the genes of our body that are normal are silenced, that are needed for a healthy metabolism. The animal studies uh, now show that if uh, the affected uh, offspring uh, uh, who became overweight as a result of what happened to them in utero. Uh, were given a healthy diet and uh, you could say uh, opportunity to have regular physical activity uh, if they were female offspring and conceived at a, at a lower weight because they, they, they uh, were given the appropriate lifestyle uh, change, uh, the next generation that wasn't observed. So that's what I meant about reversibility. Okay. Being uh, being overweight is reversible, but it requires to be eat like we did many years ago, not the modern uh, common diet, many of which things are not healthy for us. Uh, if you go to the supermarket, this is just a general adage I tell patients. You want to eat food that's around the e edges of the supermarket rather than in the aisles in the middle. 
many of the things uh, in the middle, and that's just a generalization, uh, are in boxes and cans, and unfortunately they are preserved with uh, sugars, which uh, are, are not useful. So uh, I always recommend eating fresh, and, uh, you know, I, I think in the process of saying not not simple carbohydrates, starches are complex. So sugars and 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 uh, and starches or complex carbohydrates or starches are what I'm saying uh, uh, lead to uh, more inflammation in the long run. See, insulin resistant individuals have to uh, uh, mount a greater insulin response from their pancreas if they eat a starch. Their uh, pancreas has to secrete more insulin in order to store it because the normal amounts of insulin are insufficient in insulin-resistant individuals. So that extra insulin converts the starch to individual fat molecules that are then stored in adipose tissue. So with that in mind, uh, most overweight individuals uh, are insulin-resistant, whether they have PCOS or not. What is interesting in PCOS is that we see insulin resistance in normal weight individuals, but there are many women with PCOS who don't have insulin resistance as well, and it's almost as if everybody's lumped into one category. And uh, what I would say is if you have PCOS, you'd want to work your best to try to maintain a healthy weight and avoid becoming insulin resistant from gaining weight. There are some ethnic groups who, uh, this is probably uh, genetically, uh, um, uh, of genetic origin, that, that they are automatically insulin resistant. We see many South Central Asians who, uh, their body composition in general has more body fat, and uh, that may contribute to it, but that's not 100% clear. Just the same, there are some normal weight individuals uh, who are insulin resistant, whether they have PCOS or not, but especially if they have PCOS, based on their ethnicity. And I gave you one example. But then again, insulin resistance is not necessarily present in all women with PCOS. Uh, from my experience, uh, even though we don't have a clear prevalence study uh, on uh, insulin resistance strictly in normal weight women, with PCOS, there are many who don't. The prevalence studies that exist to date say that as uh, as many as half don't or more. And in general, they're lumped together of all weights. Uh, you know, they run the spectrum of weight with a prevalence of insulin resistance of about 30 to 50 percent in all women with PCOS. But we don't have a clear study dividing them separately to say only in normal weight what's the percentage. Yet in general, I would I would say that many are not. Uh, insulin resistance is still something to be aware of, but the underpinning of it is is inflammation from all the studies that have been done in humans, and the mechanisms uh, uh, for insulin resistance may not be unique uh, to PCOS, despite what uh, maybe has been uh, published in the past in in you could say pieces. We we don't have the entire piece. Um, I hope that helps. I, I, I think that inflammation is present in PCOS from uh, not just myself, but from many other studies, even though you could say, uh, 
you know, I, I started thinking about it in the late 90s and uh, maybe published the first papers, but not at the molecular level until, you know, I, I decided to get more training to understand the molecular pathways. And, and that even if you don't have insulin resistance, we still see inflammation in PCOS. That was the data that I presented at the recent American Society for Reproductive Medicine meeting. Uh, we treated women with an aspirin-like medicine to see if we could reverse the inflammation we had known was present in normal weight women with PCOS and in women who are overweight with PCOS. But uh, we focused on the normal weight individuals who weren't insulin resistant, who we, we had seen was, were inflamed from previous studies, to see if treating with an aspirin-like drug would reverse the inflammation and improve uh, uh, ovarian function. And that's what our, our data showed, uh, and that's what we presented. And it, 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 as a result of that data, we were able to, uh, uh, you could say, uh, most recently heard that, that we've, we have some government funding to pursue this further. Great, great. Yes, so the, I think the inflammation you're saying it's impacting the, the insulin resistance. And is the inflammation um, impacting in, in the lean women that don't have the insulin resistance, does it seem to be impacting the ovarian dysfunction as well? And that's what I was referring to. Um, uh, we, uh, you could say, we put together we meaning uh, those of us who talk about this all the time, but you uh, you could say I talk to lots of individuals, I talk to my patients, I talk to scientists, I talk to clinical doctors, I read uh, uh, all types of journals from Nature and Science, which are highly basic, to uh, uh, throwaway journals, uh, articles from 30 years ago that nobody could make sense of, and putting it all together, uh, it, it, it just uh, made sense that there may be some molecular mechanisms within the ovary which would allow inflammation to uh, uh, change ovarian function towards making more male hormone and stopping okay. ovulation. And at the meeting, I presented uh, some of that data. It was putting all the pieces together to say, gee, is there a molecular basis by how inflammation can do this? So, see, we first started by characterizing or determining whether we could see inflammation in women with PCOS in our first studies. We put it on the map at the molecular level simply by saying, gee, certain diet, certain dietary components uh, have been shown to, to upregulate or increase inflammation in individuals who were described to be inflamed, in, uh, mostly in overweight individuals, not in the PCOS community. And then we, I thought, well, gee, those individuals have inflammation and have insulin resistance, and they've shown the molecular connection on how inflammation leads to insulin resistance in overweight individuals. And we found evidence of inflammation in women with PCOS of all weight classes, even in normal weight, well, gee, is it an underpinning of insulin resistance? Oh, my goodness, some individuals don't even have insulin resistance, and we see inflammation. Gee, is, is that then uh, uh, what's causing the ovary to malfunction? What information is there in the scientific world that might support that? And I was able to find it to say, gee, it's worth 
going further based on this information that some of which has been sitting there for years to uh, try to reverse what we found in our early studies to see if we could reverse the, the pathways we found uh, uh, might be involved. And then what do we see clinically, the outcome? Can we actually see a decline in the output of male hormone from the ovary with, uh, uh, with the measurements that we know how to do in research? And uh, do we see anything, any improvements clinically that, are, that would be in, important for women, like ovulation? So my study is the first, but it's early. And that's right. why we have the funding to say, gee, is this, is, is this really true on a large scale? So the way you do that is in a placebo-controlled randomized study with enough patients to have enough scientific and statistical significance. So our pilot project sounds great, but I'm the first one as a researcher to know that, that gee, in order to say this is definitive, Yet, it's all been leading in that direction over the years. I told you that although it has come to the forefront most recently, it started in a, in a room discussing uh, the possibilities years ago and with the desire to know more to get the training to explore it further at a higher level. And so how many years ago was that and where are we now? At least 18 years worth of, of uh, of the process before uh, we actually have what, where we're at now that you saw at the meeting. Wow, a lot, a lot of work has gone into this, um, but it's just so fascinating. And are, this, this next study, will you be looking at the same aspirin-like anti-inflammatory in this larger group? There's, there's a, a story to that. So just so you know, the answer is yes, because that seemed to be a, a, a useful tool. The verdict is out yet whether that would be the best medication to use for women uh, on a regular basis, and I'm not recommending that. But this particular aspirin light drug was, has been studied extensively in a diabetes trial to see if it would improve uh, blood sugars. We've known for a hundred years that aspirin-like drugs lower blood sugar, but no one can give aspirin at the doses required, higher doses. Uh, no one could be able to do it because high doses of aspirin uh, can lead to uh, ulcers in the stomach and bleeding. Um, many years ago, about 30 years ago, they came up with a medicine for individuals with rheumatoid arthritis that need a high-dose aspirin to improve uh, joint inflammation and pain, and that's by combining two molecules of salicylic acid, that as a result of it, uh, the, the combining the two molecules together, because aspirin is, uh, is not a combined molecule, it bypasses the stomach, and therefore you don't end up with the bleeding. Um, so this multicenter study that was done was possible uh, because they use that medicine. That's an old medicine used in rheumatoid arthritis. That's been, you could say, uh, been available and been uh, extensively evaluated for tolerability and safety. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't seem to be uh, have tremendous results in in, in uh, improving diabetes. 
I saw that it reversed the molecular pathway I was interested in, in found that was relevant in PCOS. So I'm not using it to reverse diabetes. I'm using it as a very potent uh, medicine to reduce inflammation uh, in, in, in a very, very, you could say, significant way. I'm just saying it's a, it's a potent inhibitor of, in, of the molecular pathways that promote inflammation to see what it does. So remember, uh, most of the patients with PCOS don't have diabetes, even though uh, many are prone. Uh, and my studies are really to try to understand uh, the, the features, the hallmark problems that uh, are confronted, particularly the ovarian uh, malfunction that, that, that leads to infertility and leads to, uh, you know, the excessive hair and acne, et cetera. Well, gosh, it's been a long time in the works, but I'm so glad that that you've got the funding and you can continue down this path. We'll be, you know, excited to see what what the future has in store. Definitely makes me wonder though about like natural anti-inflammatory agents like um curcumin and ginger and whether those would be of value for women with what, PCOS. What what I would say is that obviously there are uh, early pilot studies looking at some of those things in PCOS, suggesting that that's the case. What I advise patients to do is um, what is generally effective from what's being observed in uh, the specific problem, how does it relate to PCOS, and what things can be considered, even if we don't have large studies, that do no harm but may be helpful. So I would be the first to say that um, we don't have large studies to prove these, uh, but whatever has been done doesn't do any harm. Uh, and when you look at, uh, at uh, you know, the world of nutrition and uh, what's been uh, done without studies for thousands of years that have seemed to lead to longevity, it may make sense. So we're not. I'm not into necessarily pushing uh, medicines before a healthy diet and exercise. The truth is, that is the heart of uh, keeping humans healthy, especially women with PCOS who have a very sensitive metabolism that is, uh, you could say, uh, pushed awry by inflammation at the molecular level. And as I've shown in my studies, driven uh, by dietary components. So uh, my answer to you, what do I think of those? I don't think they do any harm. We have early studies that say, hey, they may help. We don't have definitive studies, but we have thousands of years where these things have been used in, in, you know, uh, and people live longer. I just know that it is important to gather scientific data now that we know enough to make sure how can we be uh, very discerning rather than general because we actually have scientific information for what we suspect may be useful. Well, it's just great to know that we're understanding more about the inner workings of, of PCOS. And I, we're kind of coming to a close, but I want to ask you as a clinician and as a PCOS researcher and scientist, Give us a, a word of hope for women with PCOS. Leave us with a word of hope. No doubt. 
uh, I, I, I can, I can tell you from personal experience this. There are humans, us, you could say, the, the, the researchers who have a passion for PCOS. I gave you my story and, and that, you know, uh, you've met me today, but I've been doing this for a number of years. It takes a while. There are those people who are dedicated to try to understand what's going on. There are doctors who indeed have great passion for understanding why their patients have what they have and that we don't know enough from what's in the textbooks that has not just out of curiosity but simply out of compassion for our patients knowing that we what are we offering them and how can we do more there are individuals out there and there's a group of us who are actively on the trail to try to understand we're working hard at it it doesn't happen overnight the the second thing i would say is um i would tell this to any person eating healthy and exercise is key to staying healthy, and it applies to women with PCOS as well, especially to them, that many of the things that are described that they may be at risk for may be avoidable by eating healthy and exercise. And it is true that sometimes finding the right physician to uh, uh, to to uh, advise them in their care may not always be uh, the first physician they meet. But in our world that has become so sophisticated and we know so much more, I'm the first to admit that I couldn't do uh, 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 neurosurgery uh, <laughs> and that I may not know everything that's going on in neurosurgery I try to find the person that may help them. So the first doctor I may meet may not be the one that uh, knows everything, but uh, you could say that, that there are those individuals who do know, and any advice given along the way uh, may be uh, from general knowledge, but there are physicians who do know, and it's just, it's just being led to the right person in this sophisticated world where, where one physician may not know everything. I'm the first one to admit that. So the, the word of hope is that, that really eating, eating right, uh, exercising, uh, uh, you know, keeping a healthy lifestyle, uh, you may avoid all of the things that are, are always described in, in textbooks that, uh, that someone's at risk for. Uh, and, and so most women with PCOS, uh, if they can uh, follow that, uh, will eventually uh, complete their families and avoid the worst of signs and symptoms that are described. Um, that's my word of hope. From, from my experience that uh, most individuals with PCOS really do okay in general, and uh, what drives it is what would drive any need for every human to take care of their bodies, diet and exercise. Amen. That's, you are so on point. Well, Dr. Gonzalez, I just want to thank you, and and on behalf of women with PCOS, thank you for all the the time and years of dedication you've um, and, and research and, and work that you've done for us. Thank you. Well, once again, it it it's my pleasure and it's my personal passion, 
and uh, it's what helps me get up in the morning to deal with all the stressors just to get to this point. Uh, well, we we are we are very thankful and have a lot of gratitude. Um, so I just want to thank everyone for listening, and I will look forward to being with you again next time. Bye bye. 